Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today I'm revisiting Lorcan Finnegan's horror sci-fi film Vivarium, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. The film follows a couple trapped in a never-ending neighborhood. And to discuss the bizarre genre-blending film, our returning friends of the show, Birdo and Max. What's going on, guys? What's happening? Hey, how's it going? Not too much. It's uh, We picked certainly an interesting movie to chat about this week. Uh, I had actually reviewed this earlier in the summer uh, and was surprised at kind of what it ended up actually being. There's a lot more to it than kind of just what is displayed in the trailer. Right. Um, so I'm interested to kind of hear what your guys' thoughts were on it because I think it is definitely strange and it's also kind of just the aloof nature of the entire movie. But uh, Max, let's start with you. What did you think uh, overall? I thought it was a good movie. Um, there were some parts that I felt were a little slow, but um, overall I felt the pacing was okay. Um, I don't know if the director did that on purpose to kind of um, kind of give that feeling of, kind of make that connection between the characters and, and the audience, um, kind of how drawn out this, their experience was uh, but it also was a lot different than what I thought I would say uh, I thought it was going to be uh, like a, a Stepford neighborhood type of thing where, where they're actually going to be neighbors that they interacted with and that um, the neighbors were going to be you know kind of robotic like that um, that that Martin guy that character that we meet pretty early on that it was just going to be a neighborhood full of those people. And then all of a sudden all this creepy and, and sinister things happen in the background. Yeah. That's kind of what I think I assumed of it as well. And that the movie was going to be all about how their interactions with other people that are experiencing the same things as them, mm-hmm. or if it was kind of them meeting people that had been kind of established in this bizarre, never ending neighborhood and then seeing how they try to, interact with those people but really it becomes a focus on the two main characters Gemma and Tom uh Berto what did you think overall yeah that was it was it was a strange movie for sure I thought it was it was out there um like Max and you were saying like I thought there was going to be more people involved I don't know it was just them in this kind of groundhog day kind of loop that they literally go through the whole life in this town um yeah it was definitely interesting I was expecting more more scared like more of a scary movie not of a in the sense of like just this weird environment like weird robotic people um but yeah overall i thought it was it was good it's pretty enjoyable it's just definitely out there in its own world I've, i don't think i've seen a movie that strange in a while i would classify it as horror as like horror adjacent in that it isn't really about these kind of in-your-face scares it's more kind of the existential terror I suppose of their predicament like they're stuck in this place they can never leave and it isn't really about someone preying upon them in the traditional sense it's more about them being trapped in this place and being forced into a situation that they obviously don't have a say in what did you think of the kind of weird intro to the movie Birdo where it starts with the perspective on a bird's nest and then it shows it's like nature footage at the beginning, and then it cuts right to the protagonists, uh, Gemma and Tom, who were played by Imogen Poots and uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, that was a very interesting um, introduction to the movie. It's just like, I guess that's, I think we, we saw it together, so we're kind of like, 
talking about how you were saying that it kind of has to do with the flow, like, I guess the cycle of the life or something like that, which I was kind of, I was even watching the movie. I was kind of like really, for me, it was a little hard to like make that connection. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like the baby, the baby bird is born, then it falls and it dies and it's, it goes back to the ground. I guess it's kind of like this recycling process kind of thing, but it was definitely very interesting. Um, I, I mean, it took me a while. Like if we didn't talk about it, I would have probably still be thinking about like, what did that have to do with, with the movie for me at least. But then you kind of brought up the fact that it's like the kind of this life process that they kind of living through. So yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting, but it was, uh, overall, I thought it was pretty good, pretty good intro to like setting up to what really happens. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily clear to me either on the first time I watched it until I went and researched it. Yeah. So apparently it's more about how the the species of birds in the beginning of the movie that are in that footage are different. Mm. And so it's one of them is inserting itself into a nest and it's replacing the one that's naturally there. Oh yeah. The, the cuckoo bird. Yeah. It's, and I, I saw that. So I, I watched it again briefly. Um, and they mentioned that, you know, Gemma actually talks to that little girl and it says, you know, that's a cuckoo bird. And, and then the cuckoo bird, lays this egg in another bird's nest and then once the the cuckoo bird hatches before the other species and then you know as you saw it pushes the other eggs out and then tricks the parent into raising it until raising it, it yeah and so i mean that was like a direct like in your face parallel to what actually happens even yeah, even to the point that would of, make sense now yeah yeah even to the point of uh the cuckoo, the way the cuckoo bird screams every time it's hungry or it needs something is just like that creepy ass kid oh. that they raised. So yeah, I, I kind of had that, you know, like, Oh shit moment uh, on the rewatch. Damn. I completely missed that. Yeah. This was my second time watching it as well. And it really is so on the nose in terms of just the metaphor that it's setting up for mm-hmm. the parallels and whatnot mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie. And I mean, even the title of the movie vivarium, like a vivarium is, an enclosure where you put obviously insects and typically not people, but uh, it's something that you use to kind of control the environment to monitor and observe. And again, that's another parallel to the entire purpose of the movie in that mm-hmm. the cre- well, I guess we'll call them the creatures, which is like Martin, the real estate agent who lures them there. He's basically putting them in a vivarium. So that way they can raise the creature or alien child for him basically. So that way they can kind of, imprint human characteristics onto this race of creatures that want to assimilate, but they obviously lack the skills of creating something new or original that has those same like human qualities, just because it looks like a human. We find out it does not behave like a human at all. Yeah. That was, that was creepy. Those creature things are very wild, especially with a little kid. Yeah. Honest, oh, yeah. Honestly, I would have killed them very quickly early <laughs> on. I would have lost my shit. Once he started screaming like that, I'm done, dude. He's got to go. Yeah. And so Candace, uh, so I saw the movie, Candace um, suggested the movie because she heard about it from a friend. Um, And so as we're watching the movie, again, striking parallels because Candace and I are looking for a house. And so she's like, so as soon as we, if we walk into a real estate company and this dude stands up, we're turning around, we're leaving. And I was like, yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. We're getting the fuck out of there. Um, but she, she asked a pretty interesting question. It's like, how, how long do you think it would take? You know, and I'll pose this question to you guys. Like, how long do you think it would take for you 
to like finally snap because it seems like Jesse, um, Jesse's Tom snaps way before Gemma does, or maybe Gemma is able to reel it in. Um, so how long do you think it would take you before you start digging holes in the yard? Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Berto? I think my, I would probably very early on, I would have, I would have done it. I would, I probably would have, I don't know. I would have questioned the shit out of the kid. And then I would have been like, all right, this kid's weird. And as soon as I hear him yell like that, I would probably would snap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, I mean, we start to see his Tom's grasp on things or handle on things kind of deteriorate when the film jumps ahead to, I believe it's 98 days mm-hmm. from finding the baby to him being the little boy. And that's when Tom starts to snap. And I think that that is very telling of just kind of the vivarium that they're in. And it shows the disconnect between the creatures and people. And it's something that I, again, didn't realize until a rewatch in that the creatures don't realize that like boredom is a thing Mm -hmm. because it's not something they experience. And this idea that for 98 days, all you would do is raise a child and do nothing else. Like that's why Tom becomes so obsessed with digging the hole because it's the only other thing for him to do. I mean, I'd probably lose it after 60 days. Mm. I don't know about even making it 98 days, right. just just with nothing else to do. They can't watch TV. They can't read books. They can talk to each other, but nothing's happening. So the idea that he makes it 98 days before he snaps is like pretty admirable. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. How about you? How many days would you last? Oh, I don't know. I don't think I'd make it 98. <laughs> um, I, I, maybe you could, and they mentioned that the food makes him sick. So you know, yeah. there's no, you can't really cook. You can't, you know, go out and take a jog. You can't like work out because, you know, whatever you eat kind of makes you sick. So I I don't know. 98 days seems like a stretch. And the food doesn't even have flavor, right? That's yeah, what we learn when they bite into that uh, gift bag mm-hmm. that has the champagne and the strawberries. Like he takes a bite and it's like, oh, it doesn't taste like anything. Right. It's like, so, so nasty. They can't, <laughs> they can't even derive like pleasure from the ba- most basic thing, which being food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But overall, I mean, what did you feel about kind of the trajectory of their relationship? Like, my, forget even the kid. I feel like we don't know anything about them other than their jobs at the beginning of the movie. But then it seems like just at the slightest inconveniences, there's some tension between the two of them. Berto, what did you think of their uh, relationship? Yeah, I mean, I think so Tom kind of so when when they first get the box with the baby, it says raised to be released. So it's like um Gemma kind of understands that all right now we have to raise this kid they don't know how long but I think she's more focused on the fact that she has to raise this kid and then they'll be free to go back to what their normal life and Tom I don't think understands that like process or I guess I don't know if he ever read the box or something but he just seems like he's on his own world and you can tell there's like a disconnection like it's, it slowly builds up between Tom and Gemma and it's like to the point where Tom just doesn't give a shit about anything. Like he's just like, I'm on my own. Let me do my own digging and all that. And he kind of gets stuck in this, his own world. And Gemma's kind of like playing along with this game so they can be back into normal society and back being released. Um, but yeah, the, definitely their, their connection, their connection definitely breaks up. Like we can see even in the beginning of the movie until the end, it's like they first get there. They're kind of like hanging out. They're having fun with each other, brushing their teeth and stuff. And then, like it shows a kind of fast forward the movie and it's like you can see that Gemma's trying to play with him while they're brushing their teeth and he's completely ignoring him he's like in his own world and like you just see the disconnection between them yeah definitely and I mean you kind of get the first instant or first example of Tom being the one that 
is willing to kind of like go against the grain right from the start. Mm, Yeah. When they're driving around in circles in the neighborhood and they obviously can't leave because it's kind of this time loop that just sends them right back to house number nine. Um, He's the first one that decides he tells Gemma like, oh, let me try driving. And it's like, well, that's not going to change anything. Clearly she's been going in the same direction and she ends up back where she started. But also he's the one that decides to like burn the house down. Yeah. Try to burn the house down. And I feel like that's like the last thing you would, I would expect to try that like at the end of the movie. Mm, And that's like the third decision that he makes in the whole movie is just like, oh, I'm just going to burn this house down and we'll, we'll go from there and see what happens. What did you think, Max, of their uh, relationship? I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of bullshit from the start um, <laughs> because it, it was just, um, I don't, they just, the, the, the dynamic was weird because, um, you know, she's a teacher and he's a groundskeeper, I'm assuming. And, and then he's talking about, you know, and he's borrowing her car and they're talking about, oh, I'm going to get this, you know, get this van. I'm going to do this and that. And then they get to, um, you know, then then they're looking into buying a house together, and you don't really know how long they've been together or, or what you know the, the the context of it is. But you, you don't really buy a house with someone you've only been yeah. dating for a while. I mean, that's it, it's, right. it's hard enough just to live with them um, mm-hmm. for however long, especially when you first start dating, and then you already see that that kind of tension between it because Tom is, you know, making fun of Martin and he's cracking jokes the whole time. And they, they seem to have a decent relationship, but I don't think it was, you know, the kind of relationship where you, you buy a house together. And then obviously, you know, they get into the argument while they're driving around. Um, you know, Tom just really kind of takes charge and not, not let Gemma do anything besides eventually he kind of ditches her for the whole and lets her raise this kid this mutant kid. So it didn't seem super healthy from the start. That's the thing that I liked least about this movie is that they are not believable to me as a couple. Mm. Or yeah. like you said, Max, the relationship that they show between the two of them, like I can't imagine they're going to go out and buy a house together. It mm. just seems like it's a very rocky foundation. And yet, I mean, we've seen in plenty of movies where there's a relationship struggle. People make big decisions for a uh, short-term fix for a larger issue, right? Mm. Where we see characters that have like kids together. They're like, Oh, we're having a fight. Let's have a kid. It'll bring us together. That kind of thing. But I feel like their relationship isn't even presented as being that shaky. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's almost just the the inkling that their relationship is kind of rocky. So I don't know that just the idea that like they're a couple, they're going to start a life together and already thinking about children. When, like you said, they've only been dating for probably a handful of months or that's how it comes off as it just doesn't come off as very believable to me that they would even be in a couple in that uh, predicament with one another. Yeah. It doesn't feel like they're very bonded. Like their, their connection doesn't seem so strong to make Mm -hmm. such a move. Like even when, even when um, Tom like pins her down on the floor, like in the middle of the movie, I think it seems like she starts like her first, obviously it's her first experience of Tom doing such an aggressive thing, but it just seems like, I feel like if you'd known someone, you kind of would know that they would react that aggressive in, in, in tough mm-hmm. situations. So it just seems very, very disconnected of how long they've been dating, how long they've been seeing each other. She seems to be surprised um, at yeah. every crossroads how Tom reacts. Um, I think she expects him to 
kind of stand next to her uh, whenever they hit these crossroads. But then he kind of just, I guess, metaphorically and physically goes into a hole by himself. Um, Mm, Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) and I think now that I say that, I think it's a very interesting metaphor. As the movie goes on, he gets deeper in the hole and then, you know, further and further away in his own mind and, you know, even away from uh, Gemma. Yeah. And I mean, him like literally hitting rock bottom again, metaphorically speaking and physically in the terms of finally finding the perceived bottom of his hole once he starts hearing the noise from the bottom of it. Also, like you said, the deeper down he goes, the more in the hole he finds himself in the relationship with Gemma and uh, by association, the the creature child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, coming back to their relationship, if I'm not invested in the relationship, considering the middle half of the movie, which... I think is the weakest part of the movie and drags the most when they're having the most conflict. I'm not invested in that conflict because I'm not invested really in them. I'm more personally, I was more invested in kind of the the whole mystery. And I'm just curious, what did you think of the overall way that they handle that mystery? This idea that they're in this clearly a time loop or an alternate alternate dimension. And the idea that it's kind of presented as being Stepford wife-ish. What did you think, Max? Um, yeah, that I was I was guessing the whole time as to what what these creatures are and like how this whole process is going to unfold um, because it, you know like you said it was it does seem like a controlled environment almost like a simulation or whatever but I just could not I, don't know, I couldn't figure it out I couldn't figure out even even with the um, even with the kid when he starts going off to what I would assume to be you know alien elementary school. Uh, when he comes back with the book, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, where is he, where does he go? Um, you know, there's this alien language and it, and it talks about the biology of the, um, oh, you see, you know, they see these diagrams and everything and, and the television, especially, I don't know what, they never explain the television or the language, um, which I think is kept me interested in the movie the whole time. But I was also kind of disappointed that they didn't, explain it a little further. Berto, how did you feel? Did you think that they explained the background on the creatures enough or do you think that it was just the right amount? No, I thought they, like Max said, I think they should have explained more because I was very curious as to what what the writing was and what the TV had to do with it. Like, was the TV just to keep the kid entertained or was it like feeding it something, like some kind of like message? I wish we would have known more about it. Um, Yeah, it's like, like Max said, like I wish we they would have explained more about what where where were the kids going or where were the kid where was the kid going and like where they just kept looping in like where they were going to school. I would love to see more into that because I felt like like Max said it was kind of very like weird. Like yeah, the kid just turned a corner and just disappeared, or he disappeared for like a long time and then he just showed up out of nowhere with a book. And it's like I wish we'd have known more about them, about the species and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean for me, I liked the amount that they gave us in terms of like, they're hinting at these different things. Like he's clearly going somewhere and getting information from someone or something. Yeah. We find the book, which shows that it is very much them researching people, but also learning how they can incorporate their own sort of lives, the creature lives into the human lives and whatnot. And I like the TV in that it serves as a platform for the creature. I would assume him getting information or getting orders and even that instance where uh, Gemma wants the child, she tricks him into revealing like who he's been talking to. And we have that creepy moment where 
his eyes like roll in the back of his head and these uh this thing like comes through his throat so it gross. looks like uh it looks like a frog almost yeah. Like yeah. a frog is uh sucking up air in its cheeks and whatnot um and that's like super creepy but I wish the film had given us more moments like those. Mm-hmm. And that's, I didn't feel I necessarily needed more information, like specific facts, just because I think when you're given enough of these creepy little pieces, whatever you start to piece together in your head, like an explanation, it probably is going to be more fucked up than whatever they actually, like the actual reason behind it. I just wish that we had had more creepy moments for them to be suspicious of the kid. Because yeah. I think that middle act, it's so concerned with, hitting the characters against each other and the kid is kind of just there repeating what they say and that for me at least i think goes on a little too long yeah i would have loved to see how tom would have reacted to the kid doing that noise because Gemma, mm-hmm. we clearly can tell she's frightened by it. like what the hell is this i wonder how tom i would have loved to see how tom would have reacted had he seen the kid do something like that i think he would have probably killed him honestly because i would <laughs> yeah i would have drilled that pickaxe <laughs> right into his brain yeah yeah (laughs) or put him in the hole yeah exactly yeah i think i would have preferred to see some type of again at the end of the movie obviously we see that tom is the one that succumbs first to being sick of from not only the food but i mean by that logic if the food is not healthy for them i would assume the water and even the air is isn't healthy for them as well because the aliens don't understand they just mimic things that they see and they don't really understand or know what water or food or air is supposed to actually be uh, for people. But I would have liked to see some type of reconciliation between the two of them in terms of them coming to an agreement on how to deal with the child or formulate a new plan to get them out of this predicament. Whereas they come together at the last moment just because Tom is dying. And that feels a little disingenuous in terms of like, all of a sudden we're going to look past the fact we've been arguing for an hour and just, well, I have to bond with him now because I'm not going to be able to in a minute. So I don't know. It would have felt a little more natural. I think I want to get into one of my favorite part of the movie and I want to know your guys take on it. And that's the big reveal that the yonder, the version of yonder that the two characters are in is actually one of an infinite amount. We like, we don't know. And that when we find out that it's all layered on top of each other in this kind of multiverse, uh, as it were, Max, would you think? I think that was, that was one of the answers that I was looking for. Um, it, it posed, it, it was an answer. And then it also gave me another series <laughs> of questions. That yeah, I had. An- another hundred yeah, questions. Yeah. But I think it was, I think it was really well done. A nice kind of Alice in Wonderland type of deal where she slides underneath the, the sidewalk. And then it's just this almost montage of all these other houses. And I thought it was a great moment where she uh, I don't know, fell through the wall and there's this one mother um, crying at the kitchen table and then they, they, you know, make eye contact and they're both like, Oh shit. Like there are more people here. Like, where'd you come from? Like what's going on? And then she, you know, falls to the floor and, you know, she keeps falling through these various levels and different families. Um, kind of creepy when those two people were having sex and the kid was like in the doorway <laughs> clapping. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, that was so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> was and, fucked up. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that one guy, um, you know, one guy was in the bathtub and it, it also, you know, one of the questions I had was it seemed like all the men in these various levels were gone 
to some either they're dead or they're not in the house or they just weren't really in the scene um and it really it mirrored um Gemma and Tom's situation as well and does that i mean does this kid you know push out the the father on purpose to establish a better relationship with the mother that was one of the questions i think that was like one of the more meta questions i don't know if the director meant to do that or not but that's just something that i happen to notice um, yeah. So what do you, what do you think about the level? For me, I think it kind of plays into the larger idea that, and this is one of the things that I, uh, read about was this idea that for this ecosystem or this vivarium, the idea that it's reinforcing that men die before women. And so pushing out the men early on, I feel like that lines up with that in this idea that like the men's going to be around the least for the least amount of time. So forming a stronger bond with the women, but I think also it kind of just reinforces this idea that the whole entire structure that they've built, that the creatures have built in terms of making, forcing a man and a woman to raise the next generation of creature to be more human. It just shows that like when you're forcing people into a situation they don't want to be in, like a strife is going to ensue between those characters. And it really is going to rip people apart in a way that only humans or people that are capable of emotions and feelings would even know about. Um, I, I just love the whole visual style of that scene, though, even more so than like what we learn, which is some people are uh, getting pushed apart. Some people are accepting this fucked up reality and banging out in front of the little <laughs> creature child. Uh, some people are killing themselves. But more importantly, it just shows kind of the trippy nature of it, where each level, the uh, color palette changes. So it's like a neon red, a neon purple, a neon green. And then she's like falling through the floor and all these different things. I mean... Visually, that's the most interesting part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. What did uh, what did you think of that segment overall, Berto? Um, yeah, I thought that was that was definitely trippy and definitely out there. Um, for me, I thought like I was thinking about it like so the kid like, is like watching the the couple have sex and he's clapping, which is very very creepy. <laughs> but at the same time, like I noticed like the husband was always the first one to go, and I wonder if the aliens wanted the couple to raise the kid to the point where the kid itself could re like basically sleep with the wife to reproduce itself that's my thought it was some weird like oh, shit that's, yeah that's what i, thought I don't know that's what i was thinking i was like yeah because the husband's the first one always oh, the first, uh, it seemed it seemed like he's the one that dies first so mm-hmm. i was thinking maybe the alien uses the female to reproduce and that's what you we see in the book like yeah. you know you right. see the husband the wife and then the kid in the middle it's like i wonder if it gets to the certain age where it's like it reproduces itself or she ends up killing herself because she can't take it the fact that they're in that world so it's like it's one of those things i wonder if like the alien is it's to the point where if it knows enough that it can be as act like a human that's when it goes out to the world to bring back more people to keep reproducing and teaching their kids to grow i was i'm glad it didn't happen but when that scene where they (laughs) yes where they you know the kid was spying on um tom and Gemma having sex i got a flashback to splice and I was really, <laughs> no. I was really hoping yeah. that, you know, they wouldn't have yeah. that scene or, you know, that Tom would be out of the house and, and, you know, this alien, cause, cause I saw the progression and, and eventually, you know, when it flashed forward and the alien was, you know, a young adult, I was like, I swear mm-hmm. to God, if they, <laughs> if they could fucking yeah. have that scene, you know, if they, if yeah. they take that scene from Splice, um, where, you know, he saw the reproduction and then he goes after Gemma. Um, that didn't happen, thankfully, which which was yeah 
I thought it made it a better movie um, just mm-hmm. by not having that, you know, they didn't use sex to move yeah. the plot along, which I, you know, yeah. which I was grateful for. I'm glad I mean, they kept it like that. Yeah. It's also great because they go against exactly what you're expecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm always in favor of that, even though it would have spiced things up to the degree that it actually gives them a reason to be in literal reason to be in conflict instead of just like being trapped in this fucked up scenario with mm-hmm. one another. But uh, yeah, I mean, I really like the montage early on in the film where they're trying to break the loop basically. And it's mm-hmm. them walking for miles and miles and miles following the sun. And then they end up back in their own backyard. And I mean, even that shot where uh, Tom climbs up onto the roof and he just looks and he thinks that he can see the end of the street and yet it just goes on infinitely. Um, I think that's the one thing I would really wish that the film had done a better job of in terms of it establishes this world that is shrouded in mystery, but the things that it does with that mystery aren't necessarily that interesting. Yeah. I feel like I was roped along just enough that the mystery itself, it's kind of like the mystery itself is not that interesting. It's kind of just the hints at it and the way that it's shrouded in mystery, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, what, how did you guys feel though about the, uh, the conclusion? Cause it comes pretty suddenly which once uh, Gemma falls out of that uh, alternate universe. Mm-hmm. What'd you think Berto? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was, uh, it was interesting. So I, w- I was curious more to how, how did Gemma die? Did he just kind of kill her? Like I wasn't really sure. Like, did she get old or did she just kind of died because of not enough nutrition? I wasn't sure about that because we kind of, I think there's a scene where they're talking and then it jumps to her being in a bag and it's like, she's still talking, but is he just going to kill her because is she like kind of giving up on it? And she's like, just kind of like kill me and go with it. Or I just wasn't sure about that ending, at least that scene of it, but like the ending overall, where he kind of goes back to the uh, real estate office, I was kind of weird. Like it was, is it, creepy the fact that he puts the old the old martin into this bag and he folds him in half in very weird way and it's like jesus what the hell and it's like but at the same time it kind of wraps up it kind of like brings everything together in the sense of like it's kind of a cycle they just keep like basically reborning and like they just keep going back and forth and teaching them so they can keep evolving um jeff i was was pretty good i just was curious more about Gemma. how does she come about at least i didn't catch on to just is she just kind of giving up on him or something? So that was something that was a lot clearer on the rewatch that I had, and that I had the same exact reaction at first when I first watched it. I was just like, So did he kill her? Like, what happened? Is yeah. her being in the alternate dimension killing her faster or something? But then when I was kind of reading into this idea that the food is toxic and the world itself is toxic, even though mm-hmm. it looks very idyllic, um, she and I mean men die typically before women. And so if the woman has a little bit longer of a lifespan, she would last longer. But at the end of the day, they both have the same fate. And that's the irony. That's like the tragic or the dark humor irony rather of Tom digging their own graves for them. Mm. And then we see as soon as the creature kind of refills the hole after putting Gemma's body in it, it kind of just, the grass regrows instantly over it. And they're basically forgotten. Okay. which is their cycle of life essentially. And then like you said, the, uh, the ending when we actually see the child or he's not a child anymore, he's a grown man, go to the real estate office and take the old Matt's uh, or Martin's nameplate. It is really just reinforcing again, this never ending cycle of life for both 
the humans and the creatures. Mm, yeah. What did you think of that ending, Max? Because like Berta said, I thought that <laughs> him folding that body and just yeah. putting it in a filing cabinet was a you know disturbingly abrupt ending. Right. Um, I I thought it was I thought it was a decent wrap up. I think it it go, also goes back to the fact that I I would like a little more explanation as to the purpose of these creatures because and you know looking at the big picture it seems like a lot of work to you know for for these creatures who essentially just have a year life cycle um and you know because because the old martin dies pretty much at the end of the year or just under a year so so are you you know you're you're pretty much kidnapping these people raising this younger species um you know to live a year and then you're just cycling it over and over again like I wanted to know the end result more or less. Um, but I also feel like it was a good wrap up to what the movie was. I think the ending fit, um, kind of the ambiguity of the whole movie matched the ambiguity of the ending. Um, cause you never really know the goal of these, um, creatures. Are they, you know, are they native, you know, an unknown species to the world? Um, or are they kind of a, you know, a cuckoo bird to earth where they kidnap, take over a nest, which would be, you know, the, the, these houses, but I feel those. Okay. I still have a lot of questions. I think, um, um, overall, I believe the movie could have had a little more, uh, a little more direction. So there's too many questions to the mystery and not, and not much. It, it seemed like they try to hit too many points and not focus it in a little bit more. Yeah, that ending, I mean, it wraps up the the metaphor of the film really well and kind of just, again, it's an example of like the cycle of life and how it never really ends. But like you said, it seems like a lot of fucking work to be doing all yeah. this, to orchestrate this, to create this never-ending yonder uh, encampment and all of these things. And then to do all of that just to exist, like I feel like they needed to do a better job at hinting at the end goal or mm. something to that effect, again, I don't feel, I don't mind the film ending ambiguously, but I think that they needed to focus more on the drive of these creatures or something yeah. like that. Because when you have animals that are the cuckoo bird, like you said, Max, if the cuckoo bird is doing that just to survive, it's an animal. That's the only thing animals, their, their whole existence is survival. But when you have this creature that is clearly able to display intelligence because we have the book we have the signal TV and it's clearly going somewhere and meeting with somebody. That is a type of sentience that while not human is still not animalistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if it does have some type of intellect, there needs to be an actual reasoning behind all of that. Right. right. Um, yeah. I think that's going to do it for our chat on uh, vivarium. It was, I enjoyed it a, like a little bit more on a rewatch. That's kind of just because I, I saw behind the curtain as it were in terms of the mystery and things like that. And I could appreciate some of like, I could appreciate the opening and the conclusion much more than I did the first time because I wasn't having that initial reaction of just like, what the fuck is going on? This is weird, mm -hmm. but it didn't really help me get over some of the issues that I had, especially with that middle act where it does really slow down and kind of drag for me in a way that 
it just makes that middle act kind of a slog. How about you, Berto? So Yeah, for, for me, I also, yeah, like you said, it it was cool. I definitely need to watch it to get rewatch it, and I'm probably not going to watch it for a while, but... Um, yeah, was, you, could, you could wait. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, there's so much hidden stuff that I felt like that I missed just watching the first time, just trying to figure out the movie that I'm, I definitely need to rewatch it to get my hand, like, wrap my mind around it. But I, yeah, I also wish there was more explanation because, like, the kid grows. I don't know if they really show like they show that they keep in tally of how like how the kid's growing based on the wall. But like I wish they'd explain like so how long has it been since and like we know does it like wake up one day and it's like two feet taller or something like that or is it just kind of I wish they'd explain more of that. But um, other than that, yeah, I thought it was it was all right. Definitely need to watch it again to really get my mind wrapped around that whole idea, the concept of the movie, and really f- understand more of it. Yeah, I wish they had definitely reestablished how long they'd actually been there mm-hmm. for. Because we get that when it goes from, from him to go to a, from a baby to a child is 98 days. So obviously he has a accelerated growth factor, which again, reinforces that he's a creature yeah. and not really a human. But I kind of wish I had known how long it took him to get from the child to the adult. Yeah. And just to know generally a general sense of how long they've been trapped there. Right. And so learning kind of what that contract is to raise the child and be released, even though being released, we learn is the two of them dying, which is kind of like being released from their life cycle. Uh, overall, Max, did you enjoy it more on a rewatch? Cause you said you watched it twice, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I watched half of it cause I didn't really remember um, kind of that establishing scenes, you know, how they got there, um, kind of the relationship of Tom and Gemma, um, and so I pretty much stopped after Tom burnt the house down. Uh, but, you know, I thought, yeah, I, there were definitely little Easter eggs um, that I noticed on the rewatch. And some things became clearer. And then, you know, other things were kind of still pretty vague. I believe that if, I mean, if the director's purpose was for it to be pretty ambiguous as to the purpose of those creatures and what they want to do. And it's, I mean, logistically it didn't make sense to have the parents die. I mean, from an alien perspective, it didn't make sense to have the parents die at the end of, you know, this, this life cycle, because, you know, if you have this kidnapped parent, um, they would just be better and better at raising this child. I don't know if they, or concerned, maybe they did that before and then these people found a way out or I don't know, but some things didn't make sense as far as the story was concerned uh, for me, but I also may be reading a little too far into it. That's a good point. And I think that's definitely struggles with whether he has the film play out to serve the narrative or if it's to serve the metaphor that the movie is tied into. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times I wish he had focused more on the narrative itself of those characters rather than tying this kind of like neat metaphorical bow on the movie where a lot of the things that you said that didn't really make sense or they were awkward. It's because they're not serving the narrative, which kind of takes you out of it. And it makes you think more about the whole metaphor of the film rather than the characters, which for me, I'm not usually a fan of that. Mm -hmm. I think the metaphor for the whole thing is interesting and it gives more credence to the weird imagery, but I'm more invest. I want to be invested in these characters. I want the narrative to be driving my involvement rather than seeing how this all ends up being kind of like one 
compartmentalized larger picture. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think that's going to do it for our chat about Vivarium, which is streaming on Amazon Prime. Like I said, uh, thanks guys again. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.